This is an ABC podcast. Hi there, Fiona Pepper here with Fictions. This week, stories of imperfect women. Women saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things, and certainly not fitting into any sort of good girl mould. In our first story, a woman called Trish is dictating a dating profile into her phone. And the one thing you can say for Trish is that she's honest. Brutally so. Okay, um, I have a grandmother, a sister, four cousins and two and a half nephews. I find them all loathsome, especially the two nephews. My sister is six months pregnant with another one and I'm confident I'll dislike him too. (laughs) I have owned pets in the past and, yes, I I quite like them, but when I break up with a boyfriend, I, I insist he keeps them, like always. My name is Trish and no pats, one syllable, Trish. Um... I've been told on a number of occasions that I'm shy, but never in the bedroom. (laughs) I mean, occasionally I tell a joke or recount a funny incident from work or something like that happened on the train, but no one has ever described me as comic or ever remarked that I have a sense of humour. I crave physical affection, but I'm not too keen on giving it to anyone else. In my spare time, that is when I'm not at work, I stay home and accomplish, well, not much, I must confess. I don't have any hobbies or hmm, belong to any clubs, but I, mean, I do like to watch Netflix or catch up on the weekend after I've been you know, to the supermarket. I'm not a fan of CGI or special effects. I prefer films where the violence is very you know, realistic. I don't think I'm more passionate or sexual than anyone else, but there's no way of knowing this for certain because, I mean, I've absolutely no idea how you'd measure passion. I do like sex, however, and a lot. I like I like sex very much indeed, yeah. And, and what I like best is, is rough sex, like unprotected sex. Although if you ask me, I'll, I'll tell you that I've only done it with one other person or Maybe, maybe two pushed. As for my appearance, well, I have a nice face. I am medium height. My hair is brown. My skin is okay. No visible post-op scars or, or weird tats. And my legs are spectacular from the knees down. I don't like to tell people my age. Having said that, I, I do look younger than I am. <laughs> I love food and well, I often eat too much. I love wine and I often drink too much. I'm not religious and I haven't a clue what it means to be a Christian. I'm definitely not a Christian. Nor have I got any interest in yoga or Buddhism. None, none whatsoever. Hmm. I've never travelled outside Australia and... I've little desire to go overseas. I mean, someone would have to pay, like, for 
everything and make all the arrangements well in advance. And and then they'd have to organise for me to take time off work and, and reimburse me any money that I might lose as a result of taking time off when I could be earning, you know. In that case, I wouldn't mind a holiday outside Australia, New Zealand or, I don't know, Las Vegas perhaps. My idea of a perfect first date is one where I don't have to oh, make an effort to talk, you know, think up things to say because because you like me so much that you, you want nothing more than to entertain me. Or alternatively, you, you have the immediate urge to just fall asleep with me. And you would pay for everything, by the way. And it's expensive, like the pre-dinner cocktails, the meal, I like the French champagne, the drugs, the taxis, the trinkets, roses, you know. Everything is top of the range. As for my shortcomings, rest assured, I, I have very few. <laughs> I sometimes snore, but not too loudly, and no more than most. And I've been known to hog the doona at night and occasionally steal a dressing gown or glasses from a hotel, but again, you know, no more than the average. <laughs> I don't smoke. I've never met an aid worker or anyone as smart as I am, although it's no secret that I'm neither altruistic or particularly smart. I am, however, 107% ready to fall in love with someone. You're listening to Radio National Fictions, and that was Trish by Noel Yanovcheska, starring Heidi Arena. Our next story takes place in a Sydney suburb full of middle-class niceties. Scratch the surface, though, and you find that not everyone behaves as they should. This is Golden Evan. Did you get that from a budgerigar, Evan? Evan looks at me, uneasy about the expression he should wear on his lovely face. Is this a serious question? He's wondering. And if so, how do I answer? He mouth breathes as he ruminates on the issue, perfectly still, as the cogs go round. Is she asking a question about hygiene or bird rights or theft? Or is she kidding around again, being sarcastic again? He hovers for a moment and finally lands on, you buy them in packs of ten. Released from the burden of further thought, he continues to stroke my inner thigh with his feather. Sinewy, smiling Evan. Here every Wednesday afternoon from 12 to 2. Out in plenty of time before Zave arrives home from school. Xavier. Xavi, who used to laugh at my jokes, and who now at 17 scurries to his room every afternoon only speaks to me when I've done something wrong, and everything I do is wrong. Xavier, dark and broad-shouldered like his father, who dislikes me in a way that's relentless, even as I feed him and shelter him and would lay down my life for him, even as he takes the money from my purse and the vodka from the back of the pantry. I try to put Xavier out of my head, concentrate on Evan. I wish he'd stop buggerising around with the feather, for Christ's sake. I'd pay good money for this, but I'd pay him more if he didn't bring feathers or chocolates 
or those ludicrously coloured condoms. Premium escort, my ass. At this price, you'd think he'd get the occasional joke instead of making himself the butt of them. A basic understanding of irony would help, but he's earnest through and through. Earnest eyes, earnest smile, and a particularly earnest aim to explore my deepest desires. His words, not mine. At this price, it'd be nice if he didn't talk like a greeting card. He's a surfer, wave-sculpted rather than gym-sculpted. Whiles away his mornings, walking on water, gliding on it, emerging wet and salty and bleached. You can still smell it on him in the afternoon. Golden Evan. Not just tanned, not even bronzed, but golden. He radiates. You could read a book by the light his skin throws, and he knows how to make a 50-year-old woman, alone and living with her angry 17-year-old, feel, for an afternoon, not so lonely. I wish he made me laugh. David made me laugh. David, pale and fat, and husband of Nikki. Lovely Nikki, kind and considerate Nikki, part-time hospitality teacher at the local TAFE, always going the extra mile for any student with a yearning to make a prawn cocktail that is really next level. And of course, elected unopposed as president of the school fundraising committee for four years running. David, pale and fat, sort of obnoxious, forbidden fruit, eaten. As Evan moves onwards, ever onwards from his feather work to his hands and sighs and bites and pretends I'm beautiful, I think of David. David at the school trivia night, who managed somehow to look at me in the eyes while looking at my breasts as we both answered Ziggy Stardust in a triumphant whisper, had our team captain write it on our answer sheet. David, in need of a haircut, who didn't want to go home after trivia night, who asked who else wanted to kick on, who looked directly at me as he made the invitation, who took me to the establishment and fucked me on the boot of his Peugeot. David, husband of Nikki. Nikki, who's always invited me for a weekly coffee, whose daughter had a crush on my son, who sometimes said to me, it's nice for David to have a female friend, makes him softer somehow, and you do make him laugh. David, who used to come around on Wednesday afternoons at 12 to 2, out in plenty of time before Xavier came home and made me laugh and lay heavy on me so I could barely breathe. He brought no feathers or chocolates, but did bring around the occasional joint and gave me the odd bit of bling, a necklace or a bangle, which I'd wear to dinner parties at his place, his and Nicky's place. Nicky, who's so pretty and smiles widely at her children even when no one's looking. Then David said he wanted to recommit to Nicky and make his marriage work. 
To commemorate this decision of his, he gave me a farewell brooch, pearl and onyx. It turned out to be a Victorian mourning pin for women who'd lost their husbands. A rare find, the valuer said. Fat David, full of jokes and gifts, and a wife and two children. Going to Hawaii for the school holidays with the family. Nicky, full of it the other day at coffee. Stupid, stupid Nicky. Smug and dull with a skinny cappuccino. Poor, lovely, stupid Nicky, who loves that David has taken up Pilates now with that pretty new mum at the school who runs classes in the church hall on Saturday mornings. Poor, lovely Nicky, so nice to me, especially after Gary. But Evan interrupts my thoughts, which is sometimes handy when they turn to Gary. How's that? he asks. Top notch, I say. I make a joke about filling out an evaluation form. It goes nowhere. It's a quarter to two. I tell him it's time for him to start getting ready to go, and I can tell he's worried about whether to point out that we've got 15 minutes left, and it takes all of 15 seconds for him to get ready and go. Evan prides himself on always providing value for money. I tell him I'm done, get up briskly to go to the bathroom, where I shower to get the smell of him off me. I'm expecting him gone by the time I finish, but today he's lingered, still doing up his shoelaces when I come in to get redressed. I pull my towel tighter round my body, shy now that the deal has been done. You're taking your time, I say, making yourself lovely for your next appointment. Nah, he says, nothing like that. Well, chop chop. It's almost as if you've been having a snoop. I'd never do that. Your privacy is paramount, I tell him. I know. Trust is an essential part of what we have. You can trust me. Discretion is, okay, Evan, I say. I turn my back. See ya. He takes the money from the bedside table where I always leave it, just in front of the photo of me and Zave, the one from a couple of years ago when he and I stood together his arm draped around me in the way that young men do when they've recently grown taller than their mothers. Xavier, smiling. See ya, says Evan. And he leaves, and I don't have time to turn around to know he looks like he always looks, a little forlorn and a little down, like somehow he thought there'd be more than this. And moments after I hear him start his car, the phone beeps, and the unknown text comes again. I know what you've done. And it's not like last time, when I put it down to a wrong number, because it's the exact same time, this text. The moment of Evan's leaving, and the exact same words. From the unknown number. And the phone beeps again. And I'm not sure I'll keep it a secret Xavier. Christ, is this about Zave? Xavier, who I'm barely hanging on to, who smokes too much dope and deals his ADHD medication and takes my car out late at night when he thinks I'm asleep. And I let it all pass and pretend not to know because I don't want him to argue with me, because he yells and he looks like his father when he yells. Zave, 
walking in at four o'clock, sweaty and smelly, and I smile at him and say hello. He doesn't even take his earbuds out, shuffles upstairs. I text Evan, tell him I won't be requiring his services anymore. I try a way of saying, it's not you, it's me, but the text gets too long. What do I care anyway? He sends me back an evaluation form. I mean, I just made a joke about evaluation forms not an hour ago, and he actually sends me one. It says, sad face emoji, I'm sorry to see you go. I hope you have time to fill in this survey in regards to my performance, punctuality, and appearance. Please do not hesitate to call in the future if I can be of any assistance. Thumbs up emoji. I delete his text. Delete his number from my contacts. Throw the sheets in the machine. I roast a chicken for dinner. Xavier shovels it down his throat, then slouches towards the fridge, gets himself a beer. Not on a school night, I say. He opens it, takes a chug. I pour myself more wine. Did you hear me, Xavier? He stands up, goes upstairs, taking the beer. I splash some more wine into my glass, and then some more and I'm well into my second bottle by the time I get a call on the mobile from another unknown number. You're pissed, whispers Gary when he hears me say hello. What the hell are you doing, I ask. Got a mobile, he says. Bloke owed me a favour, smuggled it in. Jesus, Gary, I say. What sort of favours are you giving out? To who? Whom, says Gary. Fuck off, Gary, I say. I hang up. And there's another text. I know what you've done. I check the number. Not Gary's new mobile, but it's not like a man with one smuggled mobile in prison can't have two. The bottle's empty now, but there's another Riesling in the fridge. In the morning I'm asleep on the couch and the TV's still on when Zave stands above me. He looks at me the way he looked at me the day his dad was arrested. Like it was my fault Gary got caught for having 20 grams of coke in his glove compartment. And then he leaves. I text David. Please. I need a friend. I don't want anything from you. I just need to talk. He calls. Tells me no. He's not going to give me advice or be a shoulder to cry on. Just leave me alone, Deb. Fine, I say. Enjoy Pilates. But he's already hung up. It was a lame comeback anyway. So I leave him alone. And there's another text. I know what you did. I turn off the phone and I can't stay here all day in a panic. I make myself nice, get dressed in some proper clothes to go have coffee with the school mums. Perfume, a bit of jewellery. The brooch is missing. I check all my drawers, look under the bed, down behind my bedside table, take out the drawers in my wardrobe. Xavier, 
the little shit. I tear apart his room. Through the old takeaway containers and the stinking shoes, his stash of dope and booze he's barely even tried to conceal. But I find nothing. I try to put it back the way it was, but when he gets home from school, he knows I've been in there. We fight. Why would I take your stupid brooch? He says. Zave wouldn't know it was worth any money, but he does know I love it, and he'd take it just to mess with me. But I tell him I'm sorry. I won't go through his stuff again. I feed him dinner, and when he pours himself another beer, I don't say anything, because the look on his face as he opens it tells me just how much he wants me to. Evan? It couldn't have been Evan, could it? But no. No one who signs a statement of integrity and sends you an evaluation form steals your jewellery. I turn the phone back on and there's another text. I know what you did. And then a text from Nikki. Lovely Nikki. Hey, Dal. Let's have a little tipple at ours on Friday evening. Dying to show you the new splashback. And Ella tells me Xavier's coming round on Friday anyway to help her with maths. And I think they might be more than just friends. Cute. See you about six? Nikki. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Nikki who was still my friend when Gary got caught, who whispered to me at coffee one morning that there were rumours going around that I had known all along and had even helped him sell it to some of the mums at school, which she said she didn't believe for a second. Nikki, whose husband I slept with every Wednesday afternoon between 12 and 2, and who never knew and just wanted to be friends because she thinks I'm interesting and she likes to have me around because she knows she's not. As I'm walking the hill up to Nicky's and David's, Gary calls. How are you, babe? He asks. And I'm not in the mood for Gary right now, because a drink with Nicky, a naughty tipple, seems like a good thing to do. I need the company, and I've bought her some lovely lilies for that crystal vase of hers. But Gary's settled in for a chat, asking me what I've been up to, what's been happening. It's not a casual chat either. Something else. I'm sure of it. Any new hobbies? New people in your life? He asks. Gary, I tell him. I'm running late for something. Is this going anywhere? Or can I get on with my life? Ah, oh, I'm sorry, Deb. I didn't realise how busy you must be in the outside world. Do excuse me. I've just got a lot of time on my hands these days. Bye, Gary. I hang up. Shit, shit, shit. I hurry up Nikki's driveway. I knock on the door and it's Xavier who answers. And he says, Hi, Mum. You're here. He kisses me hello. Ella in her tight jeans and tiny shirt bounds down the hall, says hello. Mum's in the kitchen. Come through. Xavier and I are just in the living room, finishing off my assignment. I walk down the hall carrying some lovely, expensive pinot for Nicky. As I do, David walks down the stairs, nods at me, and says, I didn't know about this. Just keep it cool. I walk into the kitchen with David, and there she is laughing at the young, golden man sitting at the kitchen bench. 
Deb, she says. You know Evan, I think. He's an ex-student of mine, and I ran into him a while ago. I've been meaning to have him over for ages, and I thought it'd be nice for you to catch up. He nods at me. Her hair brushed and tidy, her blouse crisp. She kisses me on the cheek. At her neck, there's a pearl and onyx brooch. That was Golden Evan by Essie Tempest, starring Claudia Carvin. Today's episode was produced by Sophie Townsend with sound by John Jacobs. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.